this morning, I want to ask you a question. Does God really hate sin? Now, you would think that the answer to that question is pretty obvious, but it's unfortunate in our society that that very defined line between sin and righteousness has been blurred. So does God really hate sin? Is there really such a thing as justice? Is there really a difference between sin and righteousness? Those who do good, we know they don't always prosper. And, and those who do evil, sometimes it seems, maybe oftentimes it seems, they get away with it. Psalm 7 deals with a related issue as King David is threatened by injustice. But in the end, we'll be reminded that God does, in fact, hate sin. This morning, I want us to look together at the seventh psalm as we consider together the concept of justice. As we remove the dust that's been placed on justice by our society, that, that line between what's right and what's wrong. For hundreds of years, at least in Western society, justice has been pictured as a blindfolded woman holding a sword and a pair of scales. And the idea is that Lady Justice is ready to deliver the verdict. But in the process of making the decision, she's not going to allow herself to be influenced by anything but the evidence. The scales will weigh the evidence, and she'll render a verdict without prejudice. Race won't matter. Social status won't matter. Personal finances, well, that's not going to matter to Lady Justice. The idea is justice is blind. And nothing but the facts, the evidence, will weigh in on the verdict. Blind justice is an ideal that goes back hundreds of years in, in many different cultures all around the world. But... As we look around ourselves today, it seems that injustice so often prevails, even here in Louisiana. Sometimes we hear stories about people being wrongly convicted and spending years in prison for a crime they didn't commit. Even here in Louisiana, sometimes the guilty go free, and, and, and even sometimes when the guilty are convicted, it seems the punishment doesn't always fit the crime. Sometimes it seems too lenient. Other times it seems too severe. And even apart from the court system, we're still challenged from time to time. Maybe an evil co-worker gets promoted. Maybe a seemingly righteous person loses their job. Maybe a CEO, we see them run a company into the ground, but then they get handed millions of dollars on their way out the door. Justice in our culture seems to be rather elusive. But in the book of Psalms, justice is a major theme. The words justice or judge or judgment are found a total of at least 53 
times. Psalm 97, verse 2, we find that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And so we don't need to allow ourselves to be warped by our culture any more than we've already been. We need to remind ourselves that God still hates sin. So this morning, I want us to consider this idea of justice from Psalm 7, a special, special situation outlined for us from the life of David. This is a psalm of David. It's a passionate psalm. David's upset. David's on fire. David's almost out of control as he's writing these words. And so what was it that made David so upset? Well, we're not exactly sure. We don't really know. We can make some assumptions based on some of the things that we do know. We do know that David had been apparently accused of something. So this morning, I want us to consider the godly example of King David. When he was threatened with injustice, how did the king react? What can we learn from how David handled this situation, how can we remind ourselves that God still does, in fact, hate sin? One of the first things that we find, we find in verses 1 and 2, is that we are to affirm our trust in God. David says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest a lion, like a lion they tear my soul apart rending it in pieces with none to deliver. And so right away in verse 1, David starts out with a statement that gives honor to God. Even as David was apparently being slandered by his enemies, David put his trust in God and acknowledged that God was his refuge. A refuge is a place that we go for safety. Maybe it's to high ground during a flood. But God is our refuge. He is our place of safety. God is where we go to be protected from our enemies. Without that refuge, David realizes in verse 2 that his enemies would tear him apart like a lion ripping its prey into pieces. But in contrast to that very graphic image, David affirms his trust in God, O oh Lord my God, in you I put my trust. And so as we try to apply this to our situation, living here in southwest Louisiana, we need to remind each other that our trust is also in God, in the way that we think, in the way that we make our decisions, in, in our marriages, in our families, in our finances, in everything we need to put our trust in God. Do we trust that God's way is always the best way, regardless of the cost? Regardless? Our society looks at us and they say, well, how dare you be so judgmental? Our culture says, put your trust in human reasoning. Put your trust in money. Put your trust in doctors. Put your trust in lawyers. Put your trust in the government. But Church, our culture is wrong. Let's not allow our culture to define what we believe. But instead, 
let's allow the Word of God to define who we are, what we are, and what we believe. Above everything else, like David, let's affirm our trust in God. We look back at Psalm 7. We see another lesson from King David, how he reacted to this threat of injustice, and that is David carefully re-examined his own life. And so we find that as David's being attacked, as he's being accused by his enemies, he puts his trust in God. But then he took a moment to, to honestly reflect on his own life. Is there maybe a good reason I've been accused of something? David takes it to God. David says, Lord, if I've done this, then, then bring it on. Judge me. If I've done these horrible things, then as verse 5 says, trample my life into the earth and lay my glory in the dust. This is the climax, the high point of this psalm. You may notice in your Bibles at the very end of verse 5, this word, Selah, S-E-L-A-H. Now, that word's not really even a part of the poem, of the song, but it's more of a, a musical notation. And it refers to what would be a dramatic pause after a crescendo, after this, this increase in intensity. It signals a turning point. See, this is what David was building to. This is where David was the loudest. This is where he has the most intensity in this psalm. David examines himself, and then he asks God to do the same thing. David is serious about this. Again, how different is this from the world around us? It seems today people are, are caught up in trying to get out of things. In the legal world, people look for loopholes. People try to get off on a technicality. Maybe the evidence was mishandled and, and the case gets thrown out. Maybe a witness is bribed to lie or bribed to simply forget what they saw. And the case just falls apart. It seems people do whatever it takes to avoid justice. But we know this isn't just a problem in legal matters. But it's true and it's a problem, spiritually speaking, as well. Today, people will, will do anything to avoid taking responsibility for sin in their life. They'll twist the Scriptures. They'll look for loopholes. They'll rename sin. They'll try to brush it to the side. They'll call it an alternative lifestyle. They'll call it the right to choose. They'll do anything to avoid the reality of sin. But we don't need to do that. Instead, we need to ask ourselves. If God was to bring the world to an end today, would we be accepted into that eternal kingdom or would we be cast into eternal punishment? We need to ask ourselves, is there some sin that's separating us from God? Is there something that's holding us back? If God were to judge our righteousness right now, how would we do? Would, we, would God be proud of us? Or would we be ashamed? Is there something that we need to correct before we face God in judgment? If there is, let's have the courage to correct it and correct it now. 
then we'll be in a position where just like King David, we can ask God to look into our hearts and to judge us right now. David looked inside himself. He was asking for righteous judgment. It's been said that before a righteous judge, the innocent man has nothing to fear. David was an innocent man in this case. And he was standing before a judge who is righteous in every case. He had no fear. Let's be able to, to lay down our heads at night and be able to sleep well knowing that our hearts are clean before God. Third reaction that David had in the face of this possible injustice we find in verses 6 through 11. David had the wisdom to turn it over to God. In other words, David didn't take revenge for himself, but he called on God to make it right. In verse 6, he calls on God to arise. In verse 8, he calls on God for vindication. In verse 10, he calls on God to serve as a shield, as, as a God who saves the upright of heart. In verse 11, David refers to God as a God who has indignation toward the wicked every day, a rage that is justified. Now certainly, this is exactly what Paul would encourage over in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 19, he says, Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. David shows us what it means to turn the situation over to God. When we're faced with injustice, we affirm our trust in God. We examine ourselves, and then we give it to God. We keep looking at Psalm 7. We find another idea here as we realize that God will punish sin. God will punish sin. Or, or in keeping with our theme for this morning, God is a God of justice. God still hates sin. We look, look around us. And we might think that people are getting away with it. It may appear that, that people aren't being held accountable for their actions. But David realized something. Notice verses 12 and 13. David said, if a man, that is, if a wicked person doesn't repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons making his arrows fiery shafts. In other words, we need to realize God will punish sin. The same idea is very clearly carried over into the New Testament. Matthew 10, verse 26, Jesus said, There's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, There's no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked. All things are open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The Bible teaches us that all of us will face God in judgment. We'll give an account for everything that we've done. We'll reap what we sow. The Bible teaches us that God has the last word. Going back where we began our study together this morning. God hates sin, and He will punish those who think they're getting away with it. 
And again, uh, we're living in a time where many are being taught that sin's not really that big of a deal, that God will, will simply ignore sin. But that's not what the Scriptures say. That's not what God has told us. We've seen people, we've seen even churches and ministers put their stamp of approval on all kinds of immoral behavior. But because some man or some woman or some person or some preacher even says that we're fine the way that we are, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're fine the way that we are. We're not going to be judged by a man or a woman. We're not going to be judged by a preacher or an elder or a deacon or by our mamas or by our daddies or even a jury of our peers. No one's going to vote on our salvation. We'll be judged by the Word of God. You know, human judges, they sometimes make mistakes. Juries, sometimes they make mistakes. But God is always just. God is always right. And so when we're faced with the threat of injustice, we need to realize no matter what happens to us, God will punish sin. Now as we close our thoughts on Psalm 7, there's one more idea from the text that I want us to consider this morning, and that is we are to praise God. We are to praise God. We're to worship the God of righteousness. We're to worship the God of justice. When we face unjust criticism, when we're discouraged by the threat of injustice in our lives, the Bible teaches us that we don't just go into a corner and, and, and hide ourselves. No, we praise God. Worship has a way of changing the way that we think about things. Worship changes our perspective. It has a way of changing our priorities. It has a way of lifting us up. And certainly that's one of the reasons why we've gathered together here this morning, according to David in verse 17, we're to sing praise to the name of the Most High. And that's exactly what we've been doing today. God hates sin. And I hope that we've seen that this morning. But at the same time, I hope we've also seen that, that God is not a God of hate. But He's a God of justice. In fact, even the most severe verse in this psalm, verse 12, is one of the most loving and one of the most merciful verses in all the Bible. And it really boils down to just one word. Verse 12, King David says, If a man, if a wicked man does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. That one little word makes such a big difference. The word if. That word if opens it up to a choice. We can choose. We can choose to repent. And we can choose to go through the door of the grace of God. Or we can refuse to repent. We can refuse to change our behavior. And we can go through the door of judgment. If we choose to push the word of God to the back of our minds we choose to keep on living the way that we've been living, if we choose to ignore the Word of God, God will sharpen His sword. His bow is already pulled back. 
But our mission as Christians is to be consistent with our message. The message of the Scriptures. The message of Jesus. The message of God. So that all people will have the opportunity to avoid the consequences of the fact that God hates sin. And for now, God is extending an invitation. God is inviting all people to, to turn away from sin, but the invitation is not always going to be open. There's a time coming when the door will be shut. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27, the writer says, If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation that will devour the adversaries. If you're a Christian this morning and you need the prayers of the church on your behalf to grow stronger in your Christian faith, you can let us know about that. And we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to, to pray together for your strength, for your encouragement. Maybe there's something that's, that's weighing you down, something that's burdening you. And you, you need help having that burden lifted. We want to pray about that as well. Or maybe this morning you're here and you're not a Christian. You know that God wants you to hear His Word. You know that God wants us to believe that, that His Word is true. God wants us to turn away from sin. God wants us to confess our faith that Jesus is the Son of God. God wants us to be immersed in water to have our sins washed away. God wants that. He doesn't want any of us to perish, to face His judgment and be told to part. He doesn't want that. He wants us to come to Him. He wants to forgive us. So why not now? If you have questions about what you need to do, let us know. We'd love to study with you. We'd love to talk more with you about it. But if you know what you need to do, you're ready to do what you need to do, now's the time. Whatever your need is, let us know now. Please come as we stand and sing together.